WERA is a project of Arlington Independent Media, your community media center. Our mission is to promote and facilitate free speech by providing access to established and emerging media. Find out more about us on the web at arlingtonmedia.org. And to the young people in particular, I hope you will hear this. I have, as Tim said, spent my entire adult life fighting for what I believe in. I've had successes and I've had setbacks, sometimes really painful ones. Many of you are at the beginning of your professional, public, and political careers. You will have successes and setbacks too. This loss hurts, but please never stop believing that fighting for what's right is worth it. You are listening to WERALP 96.7 FM in Arlington. This is Enlighten Me. I'm your host, Andrea Cambron. Well, 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 the day after. That is is something. Donald Trump is the president-elect of the United States. I'll give my thoughts and analysis today with Adele Stan. She is the Washington editor of Alternate. She's been covering the 2016 campaign for Alternate and the American Prospect. I'll talk to her about the campaign, what this means for women, for the country, and for the international agreements that we have. You're listening to WERALP 96.7 FM in Arlington. This is Enlighten Me. I'm your host, Andrea Cambron. You are listening to Enlighten Me, 96.7 FM on WERA-LP. This is Andrea Cameron. I am your host. The election of Donald Trump proved a shock to many. As uh, Washington editor Adele Stan, she has been covering the campaign for some time. I will get her take on this election and what this means for the country. Adele, thank you so much for joining me today. Great to be with you. So, so talk about, I mean, this is going to be something that is thought about. There are be so many think pieces on the election of 2016. Uh, you know, I, I feel like saying, where do we start from here? Like, w- what are your first thoughts on, on what happened? Well, <laughs> you know, Andrea, I, I had, I was not one of those people who thought that Hillary Clinton had this election in the bag Mm -hmm. and as far back as uh, even in you know as recently as may i was writing that um that trump could win it and i think that there's a whole lot of things you know is there's so many ways to look at this um but i do think it's very important to 
look at the you know the the undercurrent it's not even an undercurrent i mean i always felt that the driving force behind the trump campaign Mm -hmm. was misogyny and that the other um resentments and hatreds were you know were uh, of a piece with that but that it it all began with the misogyny because that was that that is something that truly originates in the trump psyche but again but in addition to that there's the way in which he won it by really going outside the typical model uh used for voter turnout and all different kinds of things so there's you know going to be a whole lot of uh of examination of the very processes that Trump used um, in order to uh, drive turnout to get people who weren't previously included uh, in the voter models that were used by pollsters to come to to come to out to the polls for him. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you spoke on that and and I've I keep thinking back to um, the disenfranchised voters that you talk about and the, the fact that he went after those types of voters, the union vote there are there were a lot of people in the midwest that were um uh felt that obama didn't didn't do all that he could for for them in uh getting you know the adequate union support and jobs that they they that they had previously had um how did trump go after those people and how did he get to them to to believe that he was going to you know, take care of them. Well, I think it's sort of a complicated brew, Andrea. I mean, the first thing you would look at is the trade deal, uh, his opposition to trade deals. Now, Mm -hmm. of course, Hillary Clinton did, you know, come back, come out against uh, the Trans-Pacific Trade Partnership, but that was only after she had been on the record of supporting it while she was Secretary of State. Right. Um, it was something that she waited long and hard, uh, waited a long and difficult period uh, for people who wanted to support her, for her to come out against it. Uh, so I think that when you combine that with whatever uh, natural antipathy there may have been among uh, those voters for the notion of a woman president. Yeah. I mean, and I think you put those two things together, and that's how you come up with the absurd number of union households in which a voter voted for Trump. Yeah. You have been covering this campaign and and I've been, you know, kind of stalking you as far as following your your pieces. But uh, (laughs) but, uh, you know, you also look at the vote and the voting bloc that voted for Trump and uh, white women overwhelmingly voted for him. Um, Where did the Democrats go wrong in their uh, appeals to white women voters? Well, I think that you know, from the outset, Trump framed this election as an election about white identity, mm. um, you know, and particularly, you know, and white patriarchy, right? He truly did. He may not have used those words, but yeah. if you look at where he was looking to draw voters from, um, the range of different uh, concerns on the right, that, which included the so-called alt-right, the white nationalists, the white supremacists. Um, if you look at that entire thing, then then you see that you know there are always going to be 
women for whom their white identity takes precedence over whatever injury they suffer uh, through misogyny. You know, Mm -hmm. misogyny is sort of the white noise of their lives. They know that, you know, their guys do it to them and, uh, and, and guys from other groups are going to do it to them. Right. And, and, but this, but their, the notion of their identity, the fact the, the the whole idea, the fear among a certain constituency of white voters that they are becoming, you know, uh, uh, receding into the minority, uh, that America itself is losing what they believed was its identity, which was a white identity. Yeah. I mean, those concerns are always, you know, that stuff is very tough to... Um, you know, those fears, are, once stoked, are very difficult to assuage. Yeah, yeah. We're talking with Adele Stan. She is the Washington editor of Alternate. She has been covering the 2016 campaign. A lot of people also said that Bernie Sanders, if, if Bernie Sanders had been uh, the nominee, the Democratic nominee, this uh, wouldn't have turned out this way. I saw a lot of comments, especially on Twitter, that um, were speaking to... Um, the fact that the DNC, in their minds, the DNC, um, you know, catered this election to Hillary Clinton. Where do you see um, disaffected, quote unquote, Bernie bros in in this um, in this election? Ah, uh, well, you know, that whole woulda, coulda, shoulda thing just really makes me crazy. <laughs> I mean, that, no, you know, really, because no, I know. I mean, it's a total hypothetical for one thing. You know, it's not as if Hillary Clinton went after Bernie Sanders with everything she had to go after him on. There was no discussion of his communist past or that he had lived in a sort of a free love commune or any of that stuff. Imagine that stuff in the hands of of Donald Trump. I'm sorry. (sighs) I think that there are no guarantees that he would have fared any better. Uh, But in terms of the question about the Bernie bros is really significant and you know you get such an irrational response and let's just say that the bernie bros are not all men sure either. yes i mean right um and and that's a tough one and it, because there is in my mind and i'm sure i'll get a lot of hate mail on this but an undercurrent of misogyny in that um in in that you know Bernie or bust mentality could because it was long after their candidate was t- was asking them, begging them to vote for, you know, Hillary Clinton that right. they were still clinging to this. Um, so I think that it's just the everyday work of feminism that needs to be done within the progressive movement. Mm-hmm. Um, that I mean, I don't. Ha- I wish I had an easier answer to that, but I really don't. No, I, I I totally understand where you come from. I think that, um, you know, for a, a movement, the progressive movement, I think, centers itself on, um, you know, having policies that benefit um, disadvantaged people. And uh, for for some within that, a faction within that movement to um, still show signs of misogyny um, st- shows that there still needs to be work done in, within yeah, the movement. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I think that, you know, there's a, a narrative that's being advanced right now that I'm really uncomfortable with. It's coming from progressive quarters that where people want to uh, to examine the, the, the election that just took place 
simply in the context of income inequality and that these are, you know, dispossessed white people left behind by the economy who voted for Trump. And if you look at the exit polls, that's simply not true that, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, Trump and Hillary Clinton drew from in very equal numbers from well off people. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. This, uh, you know, I also looked at at the uh, results coming in and, uh, you know, after all is said and done, Hillary Clinton won the popular vote. Right. What does that say about the future of the Electoral College and how how change how do we need to change that system? Well, the the Electoral College really is, I mean, it's archaic. Uh, you know, it has been um said that it really exists in in part to what its purpose was to ensure that perpetuity of slavery yeah, right. um right uh uh so i mean it's hard, you'd be hard pressed to to explain its purpose anymore i think uh at least any kind of a good purpose but the problem andrea is that it is enshrined in the u.s constitution now yeah. meaning to get rid of it requires a constitutional amendment which is a really laborious process Plus, you need, before you can send this such an amendment to ratification by the states, I mean, you need Congress to pass it. And if you've got a Congress that is benefiting from the kind of gerrymandering that the Republicans are benefiting from, mm-hmm. and, from and, ben- and benefiting from the Electoral College in its election of a president, I don't see how we get it to happen. Yeah. Again, we're talking with Adele Stan. She is the Washington editor of Alternate. Adele, speaking on that that uh, line of thinking, uh, SCOTUS, um, a lot of the, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> a lot of the um, executive orders that President Obama has put into play. What happens to those? Well, yeah. So executive orders can be undone in several different ways. Now, Trump could just come in and nix them all. Yeah. You know? Yeah. He can, because they are executive orders, because they're not confirmed by, uh, you know, they don't require congressional action. He can just, uh, he can just undo them and do that, do that quite legally. Um, He could also issue executive orders that get challenged in the court. And if you have a deadlock Supreme Court, and if it's the kind of thing that would go up to the Supreme Court, um, then... Then, Andrea, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, and I don't know that anybody really knows. I mean, we are really in, you know, in on an uncharted landscape right now. The last time that that uh, Republican controlled Congress, Senate and president was in office was before the Great Depression. And uh, when I think about that, I think about so many people who have said, oh, this won't really affect these next four years won't really affect me. Um, You know, this this isn't really that big of a deal. You know, both parties are uh, the party system is rigged and and the system is rigged in itself. Um, What do you say to those people who are totally disaffected by the process itself? Well, first of all, I believe that, you know, disaffection from the process and refusal to engage in the process, I mean, it's one thing if your life is so complicated that, you know, and you're scrambling for every penny, as many people are, you know, to, you know, you've got... At that point, you know, it's understandable that you may not be able to, you know, find time to march in the streets or, you know... 
uh, can barely get to your polling place. Right. Right. But oftentimes, this kind of high and mighty, well, the system uh, stinks, and so I don't need to be part of it, you know, comes from privilege. Yeah. Because the people who can afford to be just disengaged are the people with the privilege. You know, if you're a woman, there's no way this isn't going to affect you. Yeah. Look at yeah. If you look at all the legislation that the House of Representatives tried to pass, just along the lines, just on reproductive health alone uh in last several sessions but we're not able to because of either a divided congress or because they couldn't override a veto well that's, that's we're in a different ball game now yeah yeah uh we have republican controlled house we have a Re- republican controlled senate um and those are the people that make those decisions uh that right. we um so the the electorate so hates what happens when there's a republican president <laughs> Well, it's going to be interesting to see, isn't it? Because, you know, Trump does not fit in any kind of ideological norm um, that the Republican Party has had before. He's kind of a mixed bag of stuff. Yeah. Uh, so he may not go with go along with everything that they, they put forward, or they may choose not to put forward something they don't think he would sign. Um, but, you know, by and large... Um, in order to keep the people who voted for him happy, he's going to have to, you know, put his name to some legislation that could be very, very uh, destructive yeah. to the lives of other people. So it is, uh, this is a huge deal. Um, you know, the, 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 the far right of the Republican, well, it's, the Republican Party is a far-right party at this point, um, but that's who's in control of the nation and has his hands on the lever of power right now. And so people who have any concern uh, for the well-being of this nation and for, uh, you know, allowing people an equal shot at uh, opportunity um, and for equal rights even, I mean, this is going to have to be a time of epic organizing to yeah. counter this force. Yeah. Speaking of the epic organizing, uh, Michael Moore has written a to-do list for the morning after uh, that you guys have featured on Alternet in which he signals that that very thing, that we need to organize uh, effectively and immediately and uh, we need to fire everyone in the in the Democratic Party now. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know... That probably won't happen because <laughs> party machines have that name because they're machines right. and um, uh, and their you know, the power is held by the people who have the power. However, you know, I do think that people need to be making demands not simply of party leaders, but of the people who give the money to the party. And because if you look at the way the right has organized, it has taken place, and you and I have talked about this, Andrea, a number of times, mm-hmm. you know, over the course of decades. Yeah. And they built an apparatus and a structure and a network of organizations uh, that could drive voter turnout, that could tr- crank out policy papers, that, all different ways of injecting uh, their ideas into um, political reality. So that's, we need to on our side, it wouldn't be parallel because, you know, we have a different kind of a movement. But we need to demand that our, that donors 
stop with the election-to-election funding Mm -hmm. and start building real infrastructure on the ground that keeps people engaged and organized at times when there aren't elections taking place. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because, you know, one of the things that I... um I see a lot on my feeds, on my Facebook and my Twitter feeds as well is, uh, you know, people that are engaged now, but come a year from now when there's runoff elections, come two years from now when there's another election, come four years from, you know, in between those times, I hear nothing. Um, and, And so in order to build a movement and even a third party movement, a Jill Stein movement, a Green candidate movement, a, a independent movement, there has to be those structures in place. Um, but you don't see that and you don't see the people with boots on the ground in order to uh, build those up. Oh, you're so right, Andrea. I mean, and this is really the kind, this is the way that the right has won by building those structures and yeah. keeping them vital. Yeah. Yeah, like the Tea Party movement. Um, that and the tea, and and we tend to think each iteration of the right is a new thing. Mm-hmm. We fail to see all of the infrastructure built over decades that they have. They, that the new thing is built on top of. Yeah, yeah. Again, Adele uh, Stan, she is the Washington editor of Alternate. One thing before I let you go, uh, Adele, you wrote a piece, and I saw your uh, pantsuit yesterday on (laughs) pantsuit feminism. Um, Where does that take us? Where does pantsuit feminism take us? Well, right now, you know... (laughs) I know. I, I mean, you know, right now we're hurting. Right. Now. So right now, yeah, right now we're we are, you know, in the corner trying to figure out right, what what right. you know went wrong. But I, I mean, for the future, I mean, for for you know, like for that grassroots effort, um, for trying to uh, get the uh, progressives within uh, the Democratic Party to understand that misogyny is not right. For you know, the the greater public to uh, understand that. Uh, we need women's liberation. Where do we go from here? Well, I do think that, you know, I think the pantsuit was a great symbol and is a great symbol. And I would love to to see people appropriate that, continue to appropriate it Mm -hmm. and reinvent it as a symbol. Because when you see people walking around wearing symbols, Mm -hmm. it it, it can be very, very powerful. It's very powerful. I I saw a a beautiful young woman with with dreadlocks down to her, you know, to her waist, and she just grabbed my eye yesterday because she was wearing a T-shirt that said, the future is female. Yeah. And, you know, that, that, those kinds of statements are far more meaningful than people realize. But the other thing that has to happen is there has to be some kind of generational uh, rapprochement within the feminist movement. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that, you know, somehow we, we, we found ourselves too far apart at the, at, at you know, the the upper age range and the lower age range yeah, yeah. movement over the course of this campaign. And we need to heal that rift. We need to make sure our feminism is intersectional. And, yes. And, yes. And, and that, you know, it's not just about women who look like me, the older white ladies who have come to epitomize a certain type of feminism. Mm-hmm. Um, and we really have a lot of work to do just within the feminist movement itself. Because if you have a powerful feminist movement, you will have a powerful electoral movement because women vote. Yes, they do. Yes, they do.
Adele Stan, she is the Washington editor of Alternate. She also writes for the American Prospect. Adele, thank you so much for joining me today. It's a pleasure having you on. I, I always enjoy our talks, and, and I'm so glad that you were able to join me today. Well, it's great to be here, Angie. That was a great interview. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much. This is Enlighten Me on WERALP, Arlington, 96.7 FM. Funding for WERA is provided by Rust Insurance Agency, LLC, a locally owned independent insurance agency since 1889. For more information, visit rustinsurance.com.